Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It is On the Clock, a production of Phillies 24-7. I am your host, Ben Kenny. For the first time, the inaugural show. I thank you for spending your Friday morning with us or later in your day on Friday I mean, no better way to start this show, right, than All-Star Week. The Phillies play three games. I'm not going to come on here and talk about my take on the Derby, except for uh, Pete Alonso loses, America wins. That's my one takeaway from the weekend. The All-Star game, whatever. I, I'll touch on it in a bit. But it was a, a disappointing finish to the season. Now, the Rays series does not qualify for the time frame we're looking at with this. It's always the last week in Phillies baseball. In this case, it is one series. It is the Marlins. And they dropped two out of three after, I mean, almost a season crescendo to start the series, right? Kristen Pache goes deep. Topper pinch hits him in the ninth inning after, I mean, he pinch hits Harrison and Harrison looks lost. Harrison gets blown away quicker than I've seen anyone get blown away probably since Trey Turner (laughs) earlier in the game. But he pinch hits Pache then, and Pache delivers. And it was a moment. When you think about this Philly season, there have been several. They're still in mid-July. By no means is the season complete. But that's the moment where if this team makes a run post-All-Star break, if Pache bursts onto the scene and is somewhat of an everyday player, depending on Harper's health, then that's the moment you you look back to. Obviously incredible. They tie the record, 13 straight road wins. It is the 10th straight scoreless game for the bullpen there on Friday, which would then soon be broken, but still a pretty incredible stretch from the Phillies bullpen down the stretch here. Uh, And then after that, things just kind of seem to go downhill fast. You get a positive update on Andrew Painter, where it is not instant Tommy John. They're just shutting him down, which is encouraging. Normally with the Phillies, at least how I see it, the bad stuff happens in bunches. Right, We get a, a couple great wins, and then they'll lose two. But in those losses, someone will get hurt, or something else bad will happen. And then it'll just snowball. And that's, I mean, the last decade of Phillies baseball until last postseason, that's what it's been. Even when this team gets to September under Kapler, under Girardi, something would happen, and they would collapse. So that's what, honestly, I felt after seeing the Painter news come out, I think the day of the Pache-Homer game. But this update comes, and... Obviously, encouraging news there. But they drop game two. Rangers shaky. I don't read into that much. 
It's Ranger Suarez. He's been one of your more steady guys all season. He is allowed to have a shaky start or two. I don't, and this might be a larger problem with, with the town, with fans in general of the sport, not only here in Philadelphia, but I feel like some games are treated like Eagles games. Like there's, we forget sometimes the fact this is a 162 game season and you talk about losing two or three in Miami. Listen, the Ranger game was frustrating. They end up dropping 5-3. A game they, I mean, they should have been in. They, they probably should have won. Offense died after the second inning. And then the NOLA game. NOLA gets rocked. And it's frustrating. And that's the last taste we have in our mouth after what was a pretty incredible couple weeks of baseball. So a lot of people look at that and the reaction is, oh, sky's falling. NOLA's not an ace. NOLA can't pitch. They shouldn't re-sign him. The reaction is always that of, one I would expect to see after an Eagles game. Yet, like, that's just not the case here. It's baseball, and these things happen. And that doesn't mean the trend of NOLA isn't, isn't concerning at all. It is. But the general uh, reaction to the series was more negative than I thought. I was mad after the NOLA game. I'm not going to lie. I felt that was a perfect opportunity for them to go into the All-Star break with a win, take two or three in Miami, and they just didn't get it done. Offense, which is a key, we'll get to later. Offense was totally dead. Um, so they're 48 and 41 entering the break. They're a half game out of the final wild card spot. I, I fell generally, and here's how I usually do this. We'll do the, the week in Phillies baseball, each of the games, the takeaways, some of the news and notes, and we'll get into larger thoughts on the team, which, which I'll hit here in about eh, six or seven minutes. I felt that last week, in many ways, was a microcosm of the season as a whole. And honestly, a microcosm of the last couple years of Phillies baseball, again, aside from the incredible run to the postseason. It is an amazing win to start. Everyone's in. Everyone's bought in. Maybe with an unsung hero that we've seen in the past. Cody Clemens comes to mind for a couple games there. You go into previous years, a Brad Miller three-home run game. Oh, the Phillies are back. That happens. And then for the rest of it, it's just not sharp baseball. It is uninspiring, poor defense, absolutely horrid base running, average pitching, and a high-priced offense just dying, for lack of a better term. So you put all that stuff together, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't note this too, not timely hitting. One for eight in, with runners in scoring position that last two games. And that's when the Phillies lose, that is how they lose. It, it felt like a microcosm of that the highs are really high, and then the controllable things, the base running, again, the fielding. And Rangers' error, again, he deserves a pass for what he does fielding his position. But it's things like that that popped up where that felt like a perfect microcosm. It's also Miami, which is a house of horrors, or has been for the Phillies. And and listen, that's a good team. Like, that Marlins team is by no means some some, some random fluffy team that just found their way into that spot. They're talented. And you saw it up and down the lineup, again, rocking Aaron Nola. Uh, and, and that's the last piece, the microcosm of, oh, Nola's on the mound. We have a shot to win this game. And then deflation, almost almost immediate deflation. It kind of, the, the way I equate it, kind of felt like, to me, it's like you're in a, you're in a relationship with someone, you're, you're married to somebody, and the highs are really high. 
And and during those highs, sometimes they last, what, two, three weeks? During those times, you, you always think, okay, why can't it be like this all the time? That's how I feel when I watch the Phillies play, largely. And then the lows are, I, I don't know, there's something abusive there. I, I'm no marriage counselor. But then you, when you hit a low, it reminds you of, why, why am I spending my time doing this? That's what those last two games really were. And again, not, not to take large takeaways from them, season-long stuff, but just, just the general feel after watching the end of that Miami series. That's where I was. Um, generally, though, it, it's hard not to be enthused by what Christian Pache has brought. I mean, one of the more incredible fielders I've seen the Phillies have, truthfully. In his range... Like that, that outfield, even though they lost on Sunday, what was it? Yeah, Sunday to the Marlins. That outfield with, if you put Marsh in left and you get Pache in center and somehow an, an above average Nick Castellanos in right, like, is that the best defensive outfield the Phillies have ever had? Genuinely? Like we've been stuck for years. Odubel Herrera, guys, even a Ben Revere who just really couldn't throw could run, and he had a couple cool catches, but, I, I mean, defense was his strong suit. We'll say that. It was the plate that struggled. But I, I'm i completely scarred, honestly, after watching Odubel Herrera play baseball for as long as he did, where, I, I mean, Pache is such a breath of fresh air out there where you know he's getting the balls. Like he, He's even getting the balls that are in right field. Fly ball to Nick Castellanos, Pache's right there ready to catch it. It's incredible. And then what he's been able to do with the plate it's kind of a cherry on top. They get him from the Braves reclamation project. Really expected nothing, especially after some really bad weeks to start the year. And then, then boom, there he is. He's getting big hits. He follows it up with a double on Sunday. Probably not an everyday player until he can hit righties, but a, a guy that you can rely on if you put him in the lineup, you, you'll get some good at-bats. You put him down at the nine spot, he'll produce for you. Expectations are not high. He's not Trey Turner. He's not a high-priced guy. He's not a top prospect in the Phillies organization, clearly. And that's that feels like the perfect guy to me. You put there batting ninth. Anything he gives you is just a bonus. And, and I mean, that was the story, one of the story, stories of the week. Really good stuff from, from Christian Pache. All right. It is on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny, your host at Benzy Kenny on Twitter. You can follow me there. Coming up in the rest of the show, I, I want to get to some larger thoughts on the Phillies' first half, whether people are pleased. A couple of big questions I have going into the All-Star break and into the second half of the season. And then I, just something I've seen throughout baseball that I, I think we need to note when we talk about how Dave Dombrowski goes about his business and, and how the Phillies are built. Uh, we'll get to all that. We'll look ahead to the matchup against San Diego coming up this weekend. Four games, got, got a double dip on Saturday. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, the struggling Padres back at back at the bank for the first time since they got crushed in the postseason last year. But we'll get to all of that. Uh, it's on the clock. On the clock, we are back. Ben Kenny with you. Happy Friday. Now, by the time you're listening to this, we are ushering in the second half of the Philly season. 48-41 and 41 entering the break. During this segment of the show... I'll often lead with thoughts on the games from the week, come back, get into some larger picture things, whether it's the deadline, whether it's Andrew Painter, for instance, Rob Thompson, things of that nature. Phillies 
entering the All-Star break and now coming out of it, they're 48 and 41, 73 games remaining. We're past the halfway point. All-Star break is always seen as the halfway point. It, it never is. There are always more games before. But it felt like the break came at a perfect time for the Phillies, where you have Harper, obviously, looking to transition to first base. A lot more on that. You have some weird injuries that they don't talk about but seem to be happening. Kyle Schwarber, for one. I'm sure JT is a catcher. Loves this time off. But the team was hot, and you never want to have a hot streak ended by a scheduled week off. Though it felt like the series in Miami, which I led the show with, how that felt like a microcosm of the season, microcosm of Phillies baseball, that did end the momentum. It stopped it in its tracks. It wasn't as if we're coming off of a Aaron Nola career start into the All-Star break. No, he had one of his poor starts, which has led the anti-Aaron Nola mob to come out and protest. But it felt like the All-Star break overall came at a good time for the Phillies. They're able to regroup. They're able to get a little healthier. The second half lines up really well for them when you look at it. They are home pretty much the entire month of August. I don't know how the MLB schedule makers allowed that to happen, but it's going to benefit them. Although they're playing great on the road right now, we know traditionally this is always a team that's great at home. Hopefully the home park can get guys like Harper and Schwarber as well, bringing some power to the table. It's not always been the case for the team. But the Phillies, now that they're coming out of the All-Star break, they don't leave the Eastern time zone until September 1st. Matt Gelb had that in The Athletic. It's a fascinating note. They finished the first half, obviously, with the series in Miami, but it always feel like those West Coast road trips, whether it's San Francisco, a house of horrors somehow, whether it's L.A. against great teams, San Diego even, going out to the West Coast, you feel like sometimes momentum dies on those trips. So they're home until, or they're in the Eastern time zone until September 1st. That should benefit them as well. Things are lining up well for the team. But I wanted to, to pose, pose a, a query here. Are you pleased with the first half of the Philly season? 48 and 41 again, entering the All-Star break. It's a similar pace as they were on last year. The story of the first half, very similar to what it was last year. Terrible start. And then they somehow dig out of the hole in June and look like one of the best teams in baseball nearing the All-Star break. Now, last year at this time, you still had guys like Didi Gregorius on the roster. Clearly, the team itself, on paper, is better. But... The postseason run of last year makes it kind of inarguable that that, that team was, was set up well. They just had to get in, and they did, and, and we saw what happened. But are you pleased with the first half? I think there's two ways to look at it. And, and I heard on WIP, I heard this be a big topic. You can look at it from the standpoint of, okay, I know that the first couple months were a disaster. I know that Aaron Nola is having his worst year in however many years, five, six years. He's not pitching to his level. I know that they signed Trey Turner, and he has really been a Didi Gregorius-like shortstop through 89 games so far. I don't mean to say that it's hyperbole. Seriously, you look at his numbers, you look at what he has brought. Now, Didi was really struggling towards the end of his Phillies tenure, but in like Trey Turner has been the opposite of a difference maker for this team so far. And maybe he's made a, a difference in a negative way. I, I was on the other night and pulled up the numbers for the team. There was only one semi-regular hitter 
having a worse offensive season than Trey Turner. And that's Edmundo Sosa, who again is almost regular, but is not. And there's a reason he isn't, because he isn't enough of a threat at the plate to warrant that consideration. Now, Turner's a $300 million guy who has been really one of the best players in baseball over the last six to seven years. He's played terribly so far this season. Just to put it bluntly, he's been bad. So you know that's happening as well. You know that there have been some injuries. The fifth starter thing was terrible. And then they go into June and they turn it around. So if you look at it from the standpoint of, okay, give me all the things that are bad that have happened to this team so far, and they're still 48-41 and with a chance to buy at the deadline with Harper back and at least playing, you know he's going to give you at bats. Don't know about the field, but we know at the plate, Bryce Harper is playing, which was a big question entering the season, remember. It wasn't always a given he'd come back after freaking three weeks. But you look at all that and you say, okay, I'm pleased with the start. Because if you control for all the terrible stuff, they've, they've turned that all around. And they're in great position. They're a half game back of the final wild card spot. It looks like they will be right in the mix of the race for one of the wild cards. If not the last, maybe they get up to the second. Maybe they have a great second half and they get up to the first. But the way I look at it, I have a little trouble with that. It's hard for me to say, okay, if you look at all the things that have been bad with the team and they still turn it around, then great, they're in a fine spot. They control whatever destiny they have. Those bad things happened. This team has not played good baseball for the majority of the season, yet they are uber talented and they should be, frankly, they should be better than they are right now, but they should be in the position they are even with all that stuff happening. They don't play good baseball. And it's frustrating. The base running, that always seems to pop up. Guys get thrown out on the base pass endlessly throughout the season so far. The fielding has not been good. There's the Schwarber and left field conundrum. I don't want to look at all that stuff like it hasn't happened. Because it has. And part of it, frankly, you look at the rest of the season, part of it is something that I'm somewhat frightened will continue to pop up. Like the bullpen can be dominant, yet you still have... Kyle Schwarber in left field and you're relying upon him to make plays. So I look at the first half, not with the context of the start, just in general. If you had told me at the start of the season, the team is 48 and 41 entering the break with a guy like Trey Turner not hitting and things that have frankly disappointed us so far this season, I'm not pleased with the first half. I'm, I'm content with it. They're still in it. But for the division to be completely over, for the Braves to have ran away with it already, and that's not even in the picture, I'm not entirely pleased with the first half of the season. If we would have to go with a grade, and think about it, what grade would, would you give this team for the first half overall from day one to right now? Or include spring training. Include the, the Andrew Painter hysteria that has turned into absolutely nothing so far. I think I'd give it a, a C plus, Maybe a B- minus if I'm having a good day. I just can't sit here and act all pom-pom waving for a team that should be better than it is. Now I say that, and I don't mean to completely discredit what they've done in June. It's incredible. And what they have done has, again, put them in the position to accomplish the goal of getting into the playoffs. And then we see what happens, and we see if they're hot. I think in general, two things can be true at the same time here. Number one, we're excited for the second half. We feel good about where they are. We know they can improve. And if the poor things turn around instantly, like Harper or Turner or Nola even, then we could see the 
the heights this team can really reach. I think that can be true at the same time. As we can all say, the first half was was somewhat of a disappointment. That they didn't come out and play the baseball they played in June, but for the entire season. And Nick Castellano spoke on this a bit. I believe he was at the All-Star game. Where, I forget the exact quote. My apologies, I'm paraphrasing here. He pretty much said that they signed Turner, they come off the World Series, they got better as a team, undeniably, and they kind of thought that the baseball gods would just let them roll. That they had some, they had owed something to them after what they had gone through in the postseason and the team improving in the offseason. And as Castellanos put it, and as all baseball fans, you and me out there, could easily see, baseball owes teams and people nothing. We see great dynasties turn around in weeks or months. One thing goes wrong, it's over. No one's owed anything by this sport. So I think Castellanos was spot on by saying that. I would give the Phillies first half a C plus, a B minus. So with all that, with going into the second half now, and the division gone, but the wild card race still still in the picture, obviously, what are the biggest questions entering the second half surge for the team? I don't mean to rank them, but I somewhat put them in order of, of importance for me and I think for the Phillies, their front office going into the deadline. For fans out there, I think there will be agreement on this. What are the biggest questions entering the second half for this Phillies team? The number one, by far, from my end, can Bryce Harper play first base? We've seen him work out there. We see all the pregame videos from writers. He's working out there. He's trying to get there. Matt Gelb had a great piece in The Athletic on Harper's desire to get out on the field and help the team further. He will do everything in his power to get out there to first base. And maybe to a fault. He's a guy that wants to be out there and wants to play. And I'm sure there are moments where he thinks he could do it. The doctors maybe are a little more reserved. Now, I don't want to get into who's right or, or which should happen. But I think the question, the biggest question facing this team is when or if can Bryce Harper play first base. This break, I mentioned it came at a good time. It comes at a great time to let Harper continue to heal, continue to work out there to try to get get out in the field because if he can, it changes everything for this team going to the deadline. They can put Schwarber at DH, which they need to do. They are they have been, excuse me, operating with one of the worst defensive outfields I've ever seen. Now, Castellanos has been a, a really a marvel in right field with what he's done, playing average defense. But having Schwarber in left, we've seen it hurt this team. We saw it in the Braves game. And when you see those moments in the regular season, it's something that you always feel will get to them in the playoffs. It's baseball. Those things, like you put your worst fielder somewhere, the ball always seems to find him. A guy makes an error. The ball always seems to be hit right back to that same guy directly afterwards. So that's something that scares me come playoff time. But if you put Harper at first base, Schwarber can go to DH, and you want to add to this team offensively, which I think they should do, then you find a corner outfielder. A guy like Cody Bellinger, Adam Duvall, there are plenty of options that can help this team if they could go play left field. Or, worst case scenario, you don't add anybody. Pache goes to center, Marsh goes to left. Now we've gone from one of the worst defensive outfields I've ever seen, to frankly one of the best. Can you imagine that? Christian Pache in center. Marsh, who's a good center fielder, and then you put him in left and make it that much easier for him. And what Castellanos has done in right, 
it it changes the entire tone of this team's defense. And for a guy like Zach Wheeler, who has pitched to soft contact this year, yet has been really burned by bloops that fall in or the defense not being able to make a play, if you give him a great defensive outfield, that helps your pitching as well. And offensively, obviously, first base has been a question with Cody Clemens. Now Derek Hall's back. He had a home run. But can you trust him against lefties? We don't know. If Harper can play first base, it changes everything for this team. And I think it'll help Bryce, too. You get him out in the field. He's no longer just DHing where, let's say, he strikes out. He misses a meatball down the middle. Normally, you go out in the field and you think about it. But you're still, your your mind's on the game. You're playing defense. If you're a DH, you are there in the dugout thinking about it until the next time you go up to bat. So if you take that dynamic away and he's able to go in the field, I think that does wonders for this team. So that's, what I mean, by far the biggest. The second, and I've hinted at it through speaking about where the team stands and my thoughts on the guys. The second biggest question by far is Trey Turner. There is no player on this team, even Schwarber. Fans come at Schwarber. They're unhappy with the average. They're unhappy with the defense. And they come at Nola because he has not pitched expectation. There is not one player on this team, and it's not even close for me, that has underwhelmed compared to the level that he should be playing than Trey Turner. It's not close. He's hitting under 250, 247 on the season, on base below 300. Kyle Schwarber, who everybody is unhappy with, he's hitting 184. He's a leadoff guy. You don't like when a guy that's not fast that doesn't hit for average is leadoff, whatever. His on base, even with that average, is 313. Even though he's hitting 60, more than 60, batting average points lower than Trey Turner, he gets on base at a higher frequency. That should be unacceptable for a guy like Trey Turner who does so much on the base pass. We saw it in the Mets series a couple weeks ago. His value comes from disrupting the game. When he is on base, it makes the hitters better because the pitchers are lending more of an eye to him. We talk about the new rules in baseball. It all benefits Trey Turner if he gets on base, which he has just not done. I take away the power. If you give me Bryce Harper's slash line for Trey Turner, Harper's hitting 290 with a 386 on base, and there's no power, and it's frustrating, and I know Bryce is frustrated by it as well. If you give that to Trey Turner, and you put Trey Turner on base, what is that? 86 more times over a 1,000 at-bat sample? That does wonders for this team. And the fielding as well. It's not even offensively. He's not the greatest defensive shortstop of all time, but it's been a down year for him in the field too. He's hitting second, which is probably the most premier spot in the lineup. You see guys like Mike Trout hitting second often, and there are arguments either way, but it's a premium spot in the lineup. It's a spot where he's up in a lot of big spots. He's up with guys in scoring position, and obviously we know how much runners in scoring position has plagued this Phillies team. The team as a whole, 26 in baseball so far, ranked 26th in OPS with runners in scoring position. That's not even just hits or RBI in terms of the power. They are one of the worst teams in baseball with runners in scoring position, which is so surprising given how good they are at hitting the baseball in general. You would expect a team that's ranked 25th in hitting, say, to also be 26th in that area. But for the Phillies, it's not the case. The team leader in at-bats with runners in scoring position is Alec Bohm. He's 88, and he's actually been phenomenal in that spot. 
Second is Castellanos with 87, also been phenomenal. Two team leaders in RBI. They're both hitting over 300 just in those scenarios. The third guy that has had the most at-bats with runners in scoring position this year is Trey Turner. 82 at-bats, only six less than Bohm, who's the team leader. He is hitting 256 in those spots. He has 25 strikeouts. His OPS is below 675. He's been just as poor in those spots as he has in general this season. So if he turns that around, now you're talking about one of the highest volume of opportunities to score runs at the two-hole, where Schwarber's on base or guys at the bottom of the order are, and he's coming through in those spots, which changes the entire complexion of the team. Instead of some of those lame-ass strikeouts that we've seen, he's getting hits in those spots. So that's a big question. It's something the Phillies need, but that's my second biggest question entering the second half of the season. The last one, and listen, they're on like Aaron Nola's a question, okay? But we know every fifth day he's pitching. I'm a big Nola defender when it comes to that. We know that he will deliver the innings you need from a starter of his caliber. Now, the runs might be there as well, which has been disappointing this year, but he'll be there. I don't think he's nearly as much of a question as some of these others. My last one's health. And this goes back to the Harper at first base thing as well. But we see Jose Alvarado go on the injured list here, going into the break. And they've said they're not overly concerned about it. Sir Anthony Dominguez has been banged up. We just saw Josh Harrison go to the IL today too. And I don't mean to say that with a smile, obviously. But one of the candidates to replace him is Scott Kingery. Could you imagine? Scott Kingery, by the way, who's been red hot down in the minors. You get Scotty Kingery up with this team as a utility guy. Somehow he recaptures that form of the one spring training where he played great. Ah, oh, that'd be incredible. But health. How healthy is this team? They've really dodged, I mean, minus Hoskins. They've dodged bullets for the most part. But down the stretch of the season, that's one of the things that will dictate how far this team goes and what we say at, at the end of the season when it's all said and done. All right, it, it is on the clock. I want to get to some larger MOB storylines here in a second. I did have one thing I wanted to note quickly when it comes to the second half of the season. I don't think this is offered on sports books. I don't think you can go into, really, you can't go into a 7-Eleven and buy this lottery ticket. However, if you want to sound smart or you want to be able to predict something, there's one guy on this team that I think is the surest bet to make a big turnaround in the second half. No, it's not Aaron Nola, unfortunately. I think we're in for a lot of what we've seen so far. It's Zach Wheeler, bar none. He is a 4.05 ERA, and this is obviously down. Him and Nola both, after all the innings from last postseason, came out of the gate slow this year, and that's somewhat expected after all the mileage on those arms. He is a 4.05 ERA. However, if you go deeper, his FIP, which is a metric that takes away fielding, it's Okay, let's say a batter hits a ball that's a certain miles an hour, that's a launch angle, percentage of that being a hit, it takes away, let's say, a guy like Schwarber and his lack of range in left field. His FIP is 2.83. Now, the FIP is always something that you expect the ERA to move towards. You can be unlucky, like Wheeler has with a 4.05, or you could be lucky the other way, where a lot of hard contact is being hit right at fielders. His FIP is that low, That tells you that 
not only is he serving up soft contact that's finding holes, the fielding has really hurt him. And then just situations where, okay, maybe he should be out of an inning because a, a single blooped in, then he happens to give up a back-breaking double. That's almost been the story of his season. But if the defense behind him can improve and some of the soft contact, the luck starts to even out, he has a 5.41 strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's the best of his career. A very good career at that. He was incredible last year. He has a better strikeout-to-walk this year than last. He has 10.3 strikeouts per nine. That's the second best of his career behind just last year. So he's missing the same amount, if not more, bats than he ever has, which is a, a big key when you want to see who is truly dominating on the mound. And I, like a lot of these numbers are in line with Last uh, 2021, excuse me, his second place Cy Young season when he, he was incredible. Most of his numbers are in line except the ERA and the runs, which at the end of the day, that's what matters. But if you want to look at who is going to bounce back, Zach Wheeler's that guy for me. So keep an eye on him as, as we enter the second half. Hopefully this break does wonders for him as well. All right, let's do this. It's on the clock. I appreciate everybody joining us on this Friday, however you may be listening on podcast or on the Phillies 24-7 feed. I'll get into some All-Star Game thoughts, MLB thoughts as a whole, coming up after this. It is on the clock, All-Star Week edition, the inaugural edition of the show. And again, as I said earlier, cannot imagine a better time to start this show, get it up and running. Oh, look, the Phillies play three games (laughs) and lose two of them in Miami. House of Horrors. Gene Segura hits like 800 during the series. Awesome. Just what we needed. Even after the freaking Pache moment, which I keep coming back to. Yep, that's Phillies baseball. There's the two duds. But listen, I I feel great entering the break. There's a big chance for improvement on this team. I trust Dave Dombrowski. He has showed the ability to go all in to improve the team when needed. Albeit, he doesn't always do it in season. Yet still, his experience, compare him to a guy like Daryl Morey, not to cross into another realm here. I trust Dombrowski so much more. So that I, I can't wait for the second half to get going. But with the All-Star break, the home run derby took place a couple days ago. Had the, the game as well. Rob Thompson down there. Whole Phillies coaching staff down there. Got Nick Castellanos and the whole family flying out. And Craig Kimbrell as well. I cannot lead a All-Star week edition. I can't get through it, number one, without complaining about one thing. And I was given the perfect opportunity Tuesday night. Ninth inning, National League leads 3-2. to two. In a game that doesn't matter anymore, I will note, for World Series home field advantage, which is probably smart. However, for that one day, think about it. That one day you're watching the All-Star game. You want it to matter. And then afterwards, you kind of realize how stupid it was. But they all wear the same uniforms, which I disagree with. I think that's stupid. There's complaint number one. Number two, and I get to direct it at the Phillies manager, thank goodness. Ninth inning, they're up 3-2. to two. Craig Kimbrell throws 30 pitches. 30 pitches. And he gets the save. Awesome. Add that to the career accolades. He saved an all-star game. Come on. 30 pitches for your closer that has been lights out for the last month and a half. Thompson said he'll be available Friday. Like, cool. Even if he pitches. Like, the It is the all-star break. It is an opportunity for the bullpen to sit back, to rest, to rejuvenate. If you put him out there for 15 pitches, fine. But 
for for an old closer that relies somewhat on his velocity. When he is throwing harder, he is harder to hit. You want to throw 30 pitches on that arm for no reason at all? Come on, Topper. Now, it might not be the biggest deal in the world as we go into the second half of the season. It was just unnecessary. I was I should have been thinking about our National League. Our National League ending the dreaded 11-year drought that has plagued all of us, I'm sure, as Phillies fans forever. Oh, National League can't win an All-Star game. I was supposed to be happy about that. Yet I'm watching the the end of the game. I'm looking at Kimbrell's freaking pitch count. I just couldn't take my eyes off it. Got to 30. He strikes out Jose Ramirez. Nationals, uh, National League wins. Awesome. The story of the week. And you just cannot, it is unavoidable. Around all-star break festivities, around all the reading I do for baseball, and I'm sure many out there do as well, how ridiculous Shohei Otani has been this season. Now, this will lead me into something else, but a great piece. The Athletic gave out its midseason awards, Jason Stark, some awesome notes from it. And with the trade deadline coming up and the Angels falling off, they currently sit, they're one game under 500, but they're seven back of Texas in the AL West. They are five back of the wild card. They lost five in a row going into the break. Just a classic Shohei Otani throws eight shutout innings, homers twice, hits a triple, Mike Trout homers, Angels lose seven to five type games. Like he is incredible. Mike Trout's incredible, even though he's now hurt, even yet the team still cannot win somehow. Otani's going to be gone. Whether it's in free agency, the Angels should trade him, if we're being honest. They have to get something for him, and they could get a lot. If you're trading for Shohei Otani, you are adding simultaneously the sport's, what, third best hitter and third best pitcher at the same time? It's insane. Jason Stark had these notes. Shohei Otani's on pace through July 3rd to have a 58 homer, 128 RBI, 306 slash line, 390 on base, and an OPS above 1,000. That's just at the plate. He is also on pace on the mound to go 13-6 and six with a 3.02 ERA, 240 strikeouts, and a 12 strikeout per nine ratio. Oh, and an opponent's batting average of 180. That's obscene. It's unbelievable. And this guy could be available at the deadline. So the biggest story I'm monitoring in baseball, the O'Neill Cruz saga is awesome. There are there are stories within the story, but there is no bigger story right now to me coming out of the All-Star break than what happens with Shohei Otani. When he is traded, because I think the Angels will and should, who is it to? And is that a team that's going to re-sign him? Because you know the Dodgers, the Mets are going to be in it. Hopefully the Phillies are in it in the offseason if Middleton has, has any more money to throw out to another high-priced guy. I feel like Shohei Otani is the one guy that will be immune from the Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner disease. Like If he comes to Philly, he's not having that season. He's not coming in and having an Aaron Nola mid-fours season on the mounds and hitting like Trey Turner. He is. He might be the surest, the single surest deadline bet I can ever remember. I mean, he might be the most talented baseball player of all time, but that's another story. All right, it's on the clock. Before we get to... The second half, before the second half begins, the first half in baseball made me think about something. 
Now, I watch probably too much baseball. I follow it too closely, admittedly. I play fantasy. I'm all into the prospects and who gets called up. The first half of this season made me think about the value of youth. Now, this is completely contrary to the Philadelphia Phillies, how they're constructed right now. Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos, they're all free agent acquisitions. Now, Nola's homegrown. He's a little older. The Andrew Painter lack of impact this year, not to say we should have expected it because he's 20, but the Phillies have not gotten huge contributions from a top prospect that's come up, say. And it feels like they they don't usually. They aren't that team. The farm system has not been up to that standard really since the beginning of the 2008 to 2011 run. But I'm out here, I'm watching the Orioles play. Got Adley Rutschman, who they just called up, a great catcher. They have two more great hitting prospects that just came up in Jordan Westberg and Colton Kowser. They have uh, Mullins in the outfield, some pitching prospects. Like They are churning out high-level prospects like it's nothing. And these guys come up. I mean, the Orioles are in, what, second place in the AL East? Two games behind Tampa? 54 and 35. Now they've supplemented it with some with some veterans, but that is a youth-driven team. And you could see the direct impact of not having to go sign a guy. No, these are young rookies trying to make their mark in baseball, and we see a result. They have grown up in this era. I'm sure it's easier for them to to adapt to the pitch clock, to whatever's going on. Not to say older players shouldn't be able to. Aaron Nola should be able to adapt to it more efficiently. But they are, they've grown up in it more so. The Orioles are one great example. I mentioned Ellie De La Cruz, the Reds. Like, De La Cruz is there. They've called up a bunch of other guys as well. And they're just young. They don't know what losing looks like. They're not a longtime Oriole or a longtime Red in that case that has faced countless losing seasons. They're coming up and they're hungry. They've never been at MOB level before in some cases. And they're uber talented. And now suddenly the Reds are winning games. I think they might be in first place in the NL Central. They are. One game above the Brewers. The Reds driven by that. We just saw it in Miami. The Marlins. All this crazy young pitching talent. And then you add some of the youth in the lineup as well. And the results are that the Marlins are legitimately a damn good baseball team. This pains me to say, but it happens with the Atlanta Braves. Every single season, they have this unbelievable core of Acuna and Albies and Austin Riley. They trade for Matt Olson, which was a steal, a robbery. Yet, every year, Mike Soroka is one of the best pitchers in baseball a couple years ago. Okay, he has a terrible injury. He's still working his way back from. Just got back to the team. Max Fried has been out, their ace, literally the entire season. So what do they do? Oh, here's a 20-year-old prospect who played baseball, started playing four years ago, who's now a top prospect. Churns him out. He comes up, he gives them quality starts. The value of youth for these teams, it's impossible to quantify. It doesn't feel like the early Yankees, the, the 2004 Red Sox, for an example. Like teams that just go out and buy all these great players, it doesn't feel like that wins as efficiently anymore. Now, they could have all the talent in the world, but the value of this talent coming up, the value of youth, a lot of the surprise teams, that is the reason that they're in the position they are. Arizona as well, tied for first place in the in the NL West. Almost all the teams in first place, minus Texas, who bought a team. And the Dodgers, while they buy Freddie Freeman and Mookie, or they 
They trade for Mookie Betts. They also have a bunch of guys that come up constantly and contribute. Most of these teams that are up there in first place, it's not the Padres. It's not the Mets, two teams that have ridiculous payrolls. Obviously, it's not necessarily the Phillies, but it's these teams that are driven by youth. The Yankees are seven, eight games over, but they haven't gotten the contributions from the young guys. Again, they're, they're, they buy the entire market sometimes. Like, here's Garrett Cole. Here's 300 mil. Come to the Yankees. And they're not playing up to par. The Angels have tried to build a team through that. The Cardinals are terrible. The Cardinals stink. They go out and, and they always make some high-priced free agent acquisitions. It's these young teams. It's the youth that's coming up right now. And that leads me into, I mean, like the Phillies, you you need Andrew Painter to be a guy in the future because Nola and Wheeler won't be there forever. But one thing I'm looking at this front office doing, and I think they've done a much better job when it comes to drafting and acquiring talent elsewhere, international guys, is replenishing it that way. Because this team you have right now is built to win right now. But when Bryce Harper is on year nine of his contract, Turner's on year seven or six, you're going to need a new wave of guys. You're going to need a Bryson Stott, but that also comes up and plays like an Ellie De La Cruz. That plays to an all-star level instantly. Because that's how a lot of these teams are winning right now. All right, it's on the clock. I'm Ben Kenny. Appreciate you hanging out with us. When we come back, we will close out the show. We'll get to the Phillies' upcoming series against the Padres this weekend. A little more second-half preview. It's on the clock. All right, on the clock, we are back, closing it out. On this Friday, the Phillies entered the second half of their 2023 season. Again, 48-41 and 41, in good position. Half game out of the final wild-card spot. They open up a four-game series this weekend against San Diego. It's an interesting one. You have a double dip on Saturday. And the probables, as I see them now, you have you Darvish going up against Chris Sanchez. Darvish with a 4.87 ERA. He's 5-6. and six. Chris Sanchez in that fifth starter spot is a 2.8. Something you feel like might rise a little bit as time goes on. But he's been incredible. It's been a godsend for the team having him in that fifth spot. Those are the probables for Friday. You move on to Saturday, the doubleheader. Blake Snell, probably baseball's best pitcher since the end of May. His ERA, I think, is sub one. He leads MLB in strikeouts, uh, hits against, fewest walks. He's been unhittable. His numbers, he's six and seven. He had a tough start, but he is a two eight now. One of the best pitchers right now in the sport. He's going up against Taiwan Walker, who has a 4.02 ERA on the season. And then the Padres have not announced starter for Saturday night. Ranger Suarez will take the mound for the Phils in that one. And then you got Zach Wheeler against Seth Lugo coming up on Sunday during the day to close out the series. Listen, the Padres are a down team. I know they've been playing a little better and the offense has begun to heat up, but they're a down team, similar to the Mets. They spent all the money. They make the Juan Soto deal last year. They got Tatis back. What they think within that building that they can contend for the NL. Well, they're four games under 500, even despite a good stretch again entering the break. They're six games back of the wild card. They are uber talented. This is a perfect scenario where I'm sure the Padres also were quite pleased to see the all-star break come. Perfect scenario for the Phillies to keep a down team down. Take three out of four, get them into sell mode, and maybe even you go and capitalize on a guy like Juan Soto who just flew back to Philadelphia uh, with the team so after the All-Star break. 
So the break, is, we know it's well time for the Phillies. You're not going to see Nola this weekend. I like it. You'll get arrested, Zach Wheeler. But keep a down team in San Diego down. And then move on to host the Brewers early next week. A Brewers team, also that I will note, has not been incredible this year. They're playing good baseball as of late, but they're not necessarily the stellar Brewers teams of a couple years ago. They folded last year to let the Phillies into the playoffs. They're playing okay, but that's not a great team either. So you have a real chance coming up this week, if you can start hot against San Diego, to get off and running in the second half. Now you got tough matchups coming up, and we'll get to them in our future shows. But this is, it's a big series. People love saying that about baseball, but truthfully, the Padres are a legitimate team coming to town. You can get the fan base right back in after that Marlins series. Not as if they're out, but you can really get the city going with the three out of four coming up this weekend. All right, I'm Ben Kenny. It is on the clock. Big week of Phillies baseball coming up. I can't wait. Thank you for spending your time with us on this Friday. I will talk to you again. Same time, same place next week. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.